0: Welcome to WordBirds, where you'll hear content conversations directly from the flock. Join Christopher Willis in conversation with content experts and thought leaders as they chat about how to make the most out of your words in business. Here's your host, Chris. Hi, and welcome to WordBirds, birds birds of a feather conversation between people that care about words. Today on the show, we have a guy named Josh Duffney, is here to talk to us today about the evolution from his role as software engineer to where he is now in content creation within Microsoft. We're gonna talk about that love of words, love of writing that helped propel his career into technical documentation and now a hybrid role where he's both involved with engineering and involved in writing. Let's sit back and get some insight from the flock. Hi, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about having you here because I think the transition that you've made in your career is really interesting. I mean, we're talking today to a guy that's been a DevOps engineer. You've worked at several companies and somewhere along the way you added content creation to, I guess, a side gig, working at places like Pluralsight and Cloud Skills. And along the way you reference leaving what you thought was your dream job to try something completely different. That's enough of a teaser. Tell me a little bit about you and where you were and where you got to.
1: Sure. So, I mean, if we go to a quick summary going all the way back, I thought I wanted to be a video game designer. And then I kind of got the brochure and the six figure price tag attached to that. And I said, no, I don't want to go immediately into six figures of debt. And so I joined a charter school. So I got two years of education for free at a local community college and graduated with my associate's in computer networking. But it really kind of broadened my awareness of what computing was like what it was to work in technology. And that was enough to get my foot in the door to help desk, moved into a help desk role there. So this is where the content creation, really the seed for it got started. I was part of this help desk tool or my first project was to create a help desk tool or to install it. So people could submit tickets and I could respond to those tickets and solve issues, install printers, so forth. But it was called Spiceworks and it had this community aspect to it where I was just a one man shop kind of. I had my boss as a firefighter. He knew all the things, but he was only there a couple of days out of the week. And so the other days I was completely solo, but I had this community where I could ask questions. So I started to ask questions online and get really detailed answers that made me look good and my boss's eyes and my boss's boss's eyes when I was performing really well. And eventually I kind of got a feeling like I should contribute back to this community. I've taken so much for it. And so I started to answer questions and write how to's. And then that kind of morphed into a blog later on. And then eventually I got into the plural site content and the cloud skills content. And being kind of recognized as an expert in a particular space for technology. And then that kind of just grew and grew. And then it was funny enough, the area that I had spent like two or three years, I felt like I needed to like share my learnings from it. And I went to Pluralsight and they're like, we don't have any slots available for that type of content. Someone's already kind of done it. I know you want to do it a little bit differently, but we just don't have it in our catalog right now. And I kind of sat back and thought, I was like, I've always wanted to write a book. Why don't I write a book? And so that's when I kind of started that. And then that act of, creating that book on the side, so to speak, was really what pushed me to put down my pager because I'd been in IT operations for about a decade and switched full-time into technical writing. And so that was kind of like the pivotal moment where I wrote the book. I really enjoyed the writing and sharing and that aspect and the whole creative process around that and decided to dive a little bit deeper into that part or into that as a career prospect.
0: So for people that don't know, that's on No taking an Obsidian?
1: That's the second one. So the first one was Become Ansible. So that's around a technology called Ansible. Infrastructure as code, DevOps, very technical. And then as I wrapped it up, I actually had in my mind a book, a nonfiction book that I wanted to write that I was like afraid to write first. I figured I needed to start in my comfort zone. And that's why I started with Become Ansible. And then like, As I was trying to figure out how to write nonfiction, I became obsessed with note-taking and then wrote that book that you just referenced, the How to Take Smart Notes in Obsidian. And then it's just been kind of compounding since then.
0: I think it's incredible. I mean, again, the take that we have is that content isn't relegated to writing teams anymore. Everybody is a content creator. Whatever you do, you walk into your job and you create things that are used, byproducts of which are used as content for your organization, and you've made that full shift into that new area. And I think people can read more about this on your blog. I think it's definitely not IO. But moving beyond that article, where did that end you up? At that time, you had made the shift from Stack Overflow to Microsoft and their technical documentation team. What happened when you got there?
1: So I was in my comfort zone for about six months where I was writing about everything that I had really spent a decade refining. So Terraform Ansible, Infrastructure's Code, DevOps Space, Really refining that space on their public site docs.microsoft.com. And so trying to create a really good story and narrative, improve the documentation space there. And I was really comfortable there because I could kind of lean on my past experiences. And I didn't get that full experience of having to be a full time writer where you don't know what it is that you're about to write very well. And so, like, that elasticity that a writer needs to skill up really quickly or to learn and research and absorb, I started to learn how to do that about, I don't know, six to eight months in where an opportunity came up to completely switch domain subject. The groups of writers are really focused around particular products because you can't, like Azure their cloud platform, you can't know all of it as a writer. You might be able to know a service or a language. In this instance, the opportunity came up to learn uh, Golang or to be the writer around that particular story on the platform. And so one, I didn't know the language. It had been like the lower level language for some of the tools that I'd use, like Terraform, I knew things that were written in it. I knew that I wanted to learn it, but I didn't know it. But I also didn't know like how it would translate into the job. So... I switched about six, eight months into that role and really got to figure out the meta skills that a writer needs. So like being able to read better, being able to do research and to take notes and to dive deeper and to create your own progress bar, so to speak, because in the engineering side, like problems are just hitting you in the face left and right that you have to solve and reverse engineer. That's just part of the job. And so to have that script flipped on me where it's like, oh, I have to go and like Find my own problems and find the research and find my audience and learn about what they would be doing with it and learn the language itself so I can be able to communicate that. So like learning from a writing perspective has a different lens. And so that's really where I felt the role really I came into the role full swing and got to really experience like what it was to be a technical writer and make that full transition. From field to writing. And I think the
0: interesting thing is that as software development accelerates from traditional waterfall to agile to continuous integration to continuous deployment, the thing that doesn't change a lot is the documentation creation. Writing is writing. And all the things that you just mentioned about having to learn and evolve and turn something into words that are actionable and usable takes time. I wonder, moving from a world where there is that constant increase in velocity, how are you keeping up with the pace of the enterprise?
1: The switch to writing was uncomfortable in a lot of ways because there's an acknowledgement that that takes time. You have a great degree of autonomy. And so like the pressure, like all that responsibility to manage your time is on you now. Battling back meetings, find time for deep work, find time for research, find time for writing itself, and then breaking down that process so it's more palatable or you just stare at a blank screen. So to answer your question more directly, learning what it really meant to manage my time was how I fought against the velocity. And how I did that was I detached from it. I kind of pulled myself out of that world, shut myself off, make sure that I had a good statement of work. And then I would start to break that down and modularize the work. Like today, I'm just researching. Tomorrow, I'm outlining. And sometimes writing is nonlinear, and so I'd have to bounce between. But what always kept me focused was time blocking. So taking large chunks of my time blocking them off so that I could do that creative work. And I would scope it so that we could be manageable in a given day and also try and still be collaborative when I needed to be. But if I was just constantly engaged in all the communication tools and the meetings and discussions, I wouldn't ever get to the creative process. And so, yeah, really fighting for my time would be, is how I most effectively was able to maintain that.
0: Right, like you want people to care with Acrolinks. It's a real engineering view of the creative process. I mean, I wouldn't hear a marketing person explain their content marketing creation process the way that you just explained your technical content creation, I don't think.
1: It was a really great exercise because the best skill set that I got from the engineering field was the ability to reverse engineer. Mm -hmm. And so like looking at a particular thing and breaking it down into its elements and then creating a system around that is really like the only way the way that my mind operates. But yeah, it took a lot of tinkering, but I eventually got to a steady process. How
0: much of the evolution that you made as a technical writer came from feedback from your audiences?
1: The writing definitely did. So being on that large of a platform, you've got a lot more data points. I never really looked at any of the metrics for my blog, but the tooling and stuff that was around around the writing really helped me to be like, oh, well, they're bouncing out right away. I need to make, write a more engaging lead or I'm putting too much context up front. And so I got to learn like just through the data and that was a big shift for me is like I get to see actual data here and not just style guides like do this here or make sure the H2 is bolded or whatever. The style guides might be like the data was telling me that I needed to do something different and to change. And so that really helped me to create kind of like an internal dialogue where <laughs> it's funny now that people know that I'm in that role. They'll ask me to proof like even things like an email. I'm like, you should move this around here. You should bold this stumbling to find the word for that particular thing, but just like being able to look at writing and being able to reassemble it in a way that's more appealing to the reader. All that coming from data though and being data driven in that has really helped. So yeah, just the vast volume of data was really helpful. I couldn't like interview them. I wasn't doing user studies, but the next thing closest would be like where did they click? Where did they dwell? Where did they engage? Where did they bounce? And being able to interpret the quality of my writing based on that was how I engage with them the most. And then from like a deeper level of like, what content do they need? Really, just online communities. Just involving myself in those spaces as one of them, right? As an engineer or developer in those spaces, I got to see kind of their pain points and stuff like that. Just being in the conversations and the online forums and Slack channels and stuff were the two ways that I engage with them and use their feedback to improve my writing.
0: Yeah, I mean, essentially, you're describing the evolution between content intelligence and content impact. The idea of being able to create a piece of content that is designed from the get-go predictively to create the impact that you're aiming for. And if it doesn't, looking at the components of that content and understanding why and iterating. So there's a style guideline, like you said, but there's tone of voice. There's talking about Microsoft. There's a global terminology directory. There's the educational level of the people that are going to be reading your content. So clarity, overall consistency of that, inclusive language, all of the things that come together to create the piece of content that you're delivering. And there's a mix to that in any given piece. And you launch that piece of content and like you said, look at how it performs. What is the bounce rate? How much time is being spent there? What is the intended end result? Is it a conversion? Is it a click? Is it a something? And if you're not seeing it, how do you overlay that disconnect on top of your existing content and make it more impactful i mean right now to us in the market that's the thing that becoming the most important because everything that you're creating there's a cost they pay people like you to create content and then they pay people to edit that content and they have legal to review that so there's this creation cost associated with content but that's not the end of it because anything that we create has to be put out in the world and you've got either a push or a pull from a push standpoint i'm going to be paying for syndication of that content i'm going to be paying for the advertising of that content whatever it might be on the pull side am i going to be found so i'm paying seo i'm paying social i'm paying any number of things to make sure that the content is found there so there's this compounding cost associated with it is it going to solve the expected problem is it impactful i mean you just did a really good job of explaining exactly how you were seeing the creation of impactful content from your side i think
1: I would add another interesting thing that I observed is the shift, for lack of a better analogy, like the newspaper stand where you're like, it's about volume and volume out because now the volume out has a very high cost associated with maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so now it's more of a focus on what you're describing there, like making sure the content hits and lands. And if it doesn't, like we need to just eat the cost and take it down because we need a leaner content set than verbose content set because all of that is just going to be a dead weight. There's a lot of dead wood and content now it so seems. Nice. I
0: mean, at least on the marketing side, 50% of enterprise content ends up going unused. Largely, though, because of the amount of time it takes to create it. Because I want something and I order it. And content marketing sources that either internally or externally. And so some subject matter expert creates it. And then it goes to review. Editorial takes over. There's that back and forth. Then it comes back to the stakeholder, somebody like me. And I'm like, this is really, okay, cool. This is kind of what I was looking for. But wow. What if we did a little bit of something different here? And now we're back to the beginning of this process. And finally, it makes it back to me. I'm happy with it. And hey, did legal look at this? And we're back to it. And so content in an enterprise environment generally takes between six and eight weeks to make it through this full process. And if it was something timely, (laughs) I don't need it anymore. Thanks very much. So we just spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources to create something that goes into a repository and then creates risk going forward because now it's going to time out. Nobody's ever going to maintain it. And somebody's going to pull it out in three years, go and put it in front of a customer. Best case, it's just old. Worst case, we're out of compliance. We're breaking a regulation. Something is happening and now we're all going to get fined. It's interesting to think about the velocity of this process and aligning it with, like you said, this lean environment where I don't have that cost. Because if you look at I mean, docs.microsoft.com, millions of pages of content. It's a multi-billion dollar asset. And nobody thinks about the cost because nobody has it as a budget item. It's just a thing that people do when they go to work. And you're part of that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's an amazing thing. So moving forward from the article to the experience in technical writing, you've evolved again, I think, into a cloud advocate role. What's that?
1: It's a different type of developer advocate, and it's really a developer who advocates on behalf of a company for the particular technology. So it's very similar to what I've done in my previous life, but just not being paid full time for it. Creating content, creating open source projects, engaging with the community, and being the shim between the customer and the product team is really my primary objective. And so what my daily duties look like are kind of a 50-50 blend of what I used to do in my previous two roles. So 50% of my time is typically projects and engineering focused. And those are community-driven, so open-source projects that are more around developer productivity and experience. So creating tooling that helps to better wrap or abstract or simplify a particular tool chain. And then the rest of it is around content, whether internal or external, between the customer or the development team itself. So the people that are creating the products inside Microsoft, that they're being consumed by the customer. And then I get to be that intermediary resource that gets to both tinker with the technology, still wear the engineering hat but also still responsible for creating content that has impact. Not necessarily all written content because I was primarily a docs writer before and that was writing content was my full time gig. And now that medium has changed where video is included in there. I can do conference talks. I can do blog posts or formal tutorials or GitHub repository readmes. And so I have a lot of different mediums at my disposal to express the content or the learning, which is interesting. But all of that stuff that we had just talked about of like, how do we make sure that the content is engaging and like leads transfer over into thumbnails and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of transfer in the new role. But yeah, that's the next evolution is kind of a step back into a world of both that I used to do. And I'm really enjoying
0: it so far. It feels like you're sort of three quarters around the traffic circle. Like there's a pathway where you make it all the way back to what you were doing at the beginning and make it back to engineering. But there's also an off-ramp here where you become a Twitch streamer and you know, do all, <laughs> all yeah. kinds of interesting creative. I mean, I look at all of the things that you just mentioned as content. Content's a tricky word mm-hmm. because people think of it as a lot of different things, but it seems like in the enterprise, it's come to mean writing. And this is content, your video, YouTube channels, chat bots, all of it leverages content. It all comes from the same place. And it all requires that same rigor to make sure that it's achieving its end goal. I mean, this is an interesting space for anybody to be playing in and you're definitely playing in an interesting company. Couldn't be in a better place right now. Based on your blog, I would assume you must be making at least a half a million dollars a year doing this based on how you
1: left your half a million
0: dollars a year <laughs> job. That wasn't what you were no, making.
1: No, no, that's not quite there yet. No, yeah. no, not quite.
0: But yeah. You're going to have to yeah. visit Daphne.io to understand what we're talking about. It's an article, you can read it. Fantastic. This has been really great. I'm excited to see what comes next for you. If people want to get in touch, follow up on this conversation and, and see where you're going, what's the best way to follow you?
1: The best way to follow me or to reach me is on Twitter, just at Josh Duffney. And then from there, you can. there's links to my blogs, newsletter and YouTube channel and stuff. But yeah, Twitter is the best place to find me.
0: Excellent. Josh, thanks for being on the show. I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy this and you can expect that lots of people will follow you as a result. And hopefully we'll get you back on here in the future.
1: Oh, well, please do. It was my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to join us next time for more insights from people who love words. This podcast was brought to you by Acrolinks. Continue honing your enterprise content by checking out other episodes at com slash word birds. If you have questions or comments, feel free to get in touch with Chris and his team by sending a message to word.birds at acrolinks.com. That's all for now. See you next time.